0: You will open your Bibles. We'll be looking at James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I'm going to read through the first 10 verses. We'll go from there. James 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence? even of your lusts that war in your members ye lust and have not ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain ye war and fight yet ye have not because ye ask not ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think the Scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. It would be easy to look at this passage and think he's talking about somebody else, right? Sure, we got all this troubles in the war. We got war in Ukraine. We got issues all around us. This is not a big global discussion. This is narrow. He's writing to within the church. Go back and look who his audience is. James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings, my brethren. He's writing to believers. Specifically Jewish believers. But he's writing to believers. He's writing to you and me. In the previous chapter, we'd seen that he was admonishing them to not be many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, the practice and custom, in that day with the Jews was that they would have whole teachers, rabbis in very high regard. And you can imagine these Jews who were scattered abroad, right? Well, you may be a little fish in Jerusalem, so to speak, but if you're the only Jew out in some Gentile country, and you've had the training and experience of the Old Testament law, you could see how that might be very tempting to want to kind of put yourself up and be like, well, I'm you know, I'm a believer in Jesus and I've got more expertise than you and so I should be a master, a follower, right? And so the first, the chapter 3 was a warning, right? About putting yourself up in that position and being holding yourself out to be a master to, for the master's sake because you want it for, for pride. And it talked about the wisdom that men have, earthly wisdom, right? In chapter 13, uh, sorry, not chapter 13, verse 13, who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? So inside the church, true wisdom. Let him show out of his good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. Right? That's a godly wisdom. But what they had going on was, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. That's not something to be proud about. If it's in your heart and that's what you're producing by your behavior, bitterness and envying, don't have the glory in that. Lie not against the truth. This wisdom descended not from above, from God, but it's earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. All right. So, extra context. That's who, he, that's who he's writing to. He's writing to believers. So, these these issues that you're talking about, it's not a literal. I'm going out and, and killing somebody. It's not a war where we're going out and, and murdering, but it's that strife that happens within churches, which is just as bad as literal murder. That's the wars that's referring to. It's these power plays, political struggles. Who's going to be the top? Who's going to be the patriarch of the church? Y'all ever seen that happen where there's some one voice who reigns louder than everyone else's? Guess what? The only voice that needs to reign louder than everyone else's is Christ's. And everyone else has to bend to it. Those types of behaviours, wars and fight is among you, says so that's a question. Where does it come from? And then he gives the answer. They come from your lusts that war in your members. Your members is your your, your body, right? You have lusts within you that are warring against your spiritual nature. When you're born again, you're given a spiritual nature. And for the rest of your life, you will be warring against those carnal, natural lusts of the flesh. Ye lust and have not. So you're desiring something, and yet you haven't attained it. Ye kill and desire to have. Now, in that context, do we think we're talking about literally stabbing somebody through with a knife? I don't think so. Do you know that hating your brother without a cause... Is as bad as murder. You, you, you may not believe me on that, but let's let's go look. All right, two verses I'm going to build on that: Matthew five and twenty-one. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew five and twenty-one. Jesus says, "You've heard that it was said of them of old time." Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. All right, we're talking about murder here. Consequence for murder, judgment. It says, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Same consequence. Angry without a cause. It goes on, it says, whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever shall say, "Thou fool," shall be in danger of hell fire. So you're, you know, Raka, and fool. I mean, that's basically calling your brother, you know, a worthless reprobate. Right? Name calling, hatred. Go over to First John. First John chapter three. First John chapter three and verse fourteen and fifteen. We know that we have passed from death unto life. He's talking about spiritual death, being dead and trespasses and sin, into spiritual life. We know that we've passed because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brethren abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brethren is a murderer. And ye you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in Him. So you come back to James 4. There are a people within the church who are lusting after things, their desires, their goals. They haven't obtained it. They're killing. They're hating. They're despising their brothers and sisters within the church to try and meet their ends. They desire to have and they still cannot attain. You fight and you war and you have not because you ask not. Well, you know, take this in, uh, in modern day language, you know. Modern day problems, um, church splits, um, divisions, rancor. Yeah, and y'all have told me some stories about having to kick people out of, of, of buildings, right? That's kind of definitions of what we're talking about. If When people get in the flesh... And they start treating each other in the flesh. That's when you get these wars and strifes and divisions among them. It says you have not because you ask not. You're getting so wrapped up in the flesh and your carnal pursuits and your carnal ends, you're not even asking God about it. It says church. Are our pursuits in the church in line with what is glorifying to Him? Or are we trying to make ourselves be high and lifted up? And then, if you do ask, verse three, you ask and receive not. Okay, you're asking the Lord, and you receive not. Why? Because you're not asking correctly. Well, it's not because you didn't say "pretty please" with a cherry on top. It's because you're asking with the wrong motivation for the wrong things. You're asking for things that you can consume and upon your lusts. This is why God is not a genie. You can't say, "Lord, pretty please, I'd like that red Corvette." Why do I want that red Corvette? Because my carnal nature says, Man, that'd be cool. I'd look cool. Everyone would think I'm smart. I could go fast. i get lots of speeding tickets. I, I don't know. But it's asking for the wrong things. We sang a song just a few moments ago about seeking first what? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. How often do we ask for things that are not in alignment with that at all? We're asking for everything else to be first. And then, yeah, with anything left over, okay, here, Lord, here's the piddling part, right? You know, it's kind of like I'm, I'm putting trend up on the, in the screen out there. It's like taking the big pieces for me and then the little snips that are left over. Here you go, God, those are yours. Right? Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. So that's, that's one of the things we need to consider. So we're going to the Lord in prayer. Lord, am I asking for something that will glorify you? Now, I'm supposed to be submissive to your will. I mean, I can ask wrong, and he certainly don't have to give it to me. Sometimes he may give it to me to teach me. Am I asking for this just to consume it upon my earthly lust and desires? And then you get some really strong language here. This is, this is church folk he's writing to. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever there will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Let's talk about the concept of spiritual adultery. We looked in our Bible study on Wednesday night about Paul was jealous for the Corinthian church, right? He had espoused them to one husband. Present them, you know, virgin bride, right? Jesus came to die for his church. To clean up his bride so it could be spotless without fault. To present it to himself. He bought and paid for you. You are his bride. And so when you serve anything else, you're committing adultery against your husband. This is not a new concept unique to the New Testament. This was found pervasively through the Old Testament. Um, let's go over to Hosea. Little book of Hosea. Chapter 3. It's right after Daniel. I haven't read Hosea lately. Hosea... was given the instruction to teach a lesson. It says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and to flagons of wine. God loved Israel very well. He had never been unfaithful to to them but they were frequently unfaithful to the Lord. They would go and they would serve other idols. And you may say, I don't have any idols in my house. I don't have any little statues. I don't sacrifice any goats to them. I'm not worshiping idols. Well, notice the second thing it also says, and to love flagons of wine. All right? That's kind of a good catch-all for pursuing those lusts of the flesh. The things that are of this world that your natural carnal body wants and desires, saying you're putting that... As your as your love and affection, that's adultery. That is adultery, spiritual adultery. And here, here Hosea had to go marry you know, basically a harlot, right? To teach that lesson, and um, and you can see this uh, same concept over in Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter three. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and down in verse 4, if we just jumped in straight in the middle, we'd have this expression of those who are serving themselves rather than God. It says, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Do you love pleasure more than you love God? If so, then you are indulging and pursuing the lust of the flesh. It goes on to saying, uh, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now, this is describing that you know in the last days there'll be perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own self. That's adultery against God. If you're loving anything more than you love God, that's adultery. Lovers of their own selves, covetous, that's lovers of stuff. Boasting, that's loving looking good and telling everybody about it. Man, I'm good. You don't believe me? I'll tell you about it. Loving your, it's your ego, right? Proud. Again, that's another description of loving yourself. You know, Often you get irritated when other people don't hold you in such a high opinion as you have of yourself. Right? That's pride. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parent, Parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affliction. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. This is a scary description of many modern Christians. And at times it may be a scary description of ourselves. We can walk in the way that everyone else thinks man what a good Christian they are. They show up at church, they you know whatever, they say the right things, they wear the Bible verses on their t shirt, they got the bumper sticker with the fish on it or something. You know. Is that it? That's 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 a form of godliness, it's the appearance. But if the rest of your life isn't matching up to it, then it's just a facade, a fake wall. Spiritual adultery. All right. So, what are these? What are these lusts? What 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 do we mean by that? Carnal, carnal lusts, fleshly lusts. You go over First Peter chapter two. Let me get that expression. First Peter chapter two and verse eleven. Dearly beloved, Peter loved who he was talking to. Not just a little bit. Dearly beloved. I beseech you. Beseech means to beg. Earnestly plead. It's not an order or a command or a fist. I'm begging. Dearly beloved, whom I love so much, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Are you a stranger and pilgrim in this world? Do we forget that? This is not our final destination. This is not our home. We're just strangers and pilgrims passing through. If you were on a journey, let's say you were, you know, back in Oregon Trail days and you're on the way to Oregon, that's your destination. At every fort you came along with, would you stop and build a house? Would you plant your corn? Would you start, you know, a blacksmithing shop and work there? Would you put down roots there and said, and what would happen? Would you ever make it? <laughs> no, you'd be so tied up with where you are along the journey that you forget about where you're headed. Okay, Now that's an incomplete illustration, I understand that. But still, how often do we act like this is it! And everything that I'm doing here is the most important and this, this issue has to be dealt with now. It's more important than anything else. Whether that's jobs or family or money, whatever it is. Whatever is distracting us from putting first the kingdom we need to be reminded we're just strangers and pilgrims dear little beloved I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul abstain against flesh. abstain means to put it away it doesn't mean just okay put it over here in the corner and we'll just go to that just a little bit or you know we're good over here but we've still got our kind of little candy dish of fleshly lusts it's okay we'll just put it away from you why? Because it it hurts you. Indulging in those things, it's a war against your soul, your spiritual nature. It it discourages you. Right? You ever heard that illustration about you got two wolves within? One that's this is holy spirit, no, no, you know, the spiritual nature, and one is this nature of man. Which one's going to win in your daily battle? Well, the, the illustration says the one that you feed. Right? If all your time and energy is going into the worldly one, well, yeah that's what's going to be reflected in your daily life. Alright, so fleshly lusts, alright? If you look up that word fleshly in the Strong's, it says pertaining to the flesh, bodily, temporal, or by implication your your animal or unregenerate self. That definition wasn't particularly helpful, helpful to me. Okay? Now if you look up where that word is translated, that Greek word, where else it's translated, it's also translated carnal. Okay? And again, I use that word carnal, but that's not something I have a real good understanding for what that means, right? Well, the etymology, where does that word come from? It's Latin, right? Latin, um, caro or carn. Kids, y'all should know this. What's a meat-eater, dinosaur? Carnivore, right? That Latin word carnivore means meat or flesh, right? How about carrion, right? Dead flesh, right? Or carnage. A lot of dead flesh, right? Carn. Our carnal... It's basically our meaty little bodies. The things that please this body, those are the carnal lusts. As opposed to pursuing those things that you can't see, right? That we're walking by faith and we're pursuing our Lord and the unseen things, right? Now, when we use the description carnal or flesh or fleshly, I can't think of a single example where it's a positive thing. Okay, our Why? Why? We're made in the image of God. Well, shouldn't our flesh be a good thing? It was in the garden before Adam fell. It was. God made man good, very good, right? And what did Adam and Eve do? They sinned. They disobeyed. They took of the fruit that he said not to. They only gave them one thing not to do, and they did it. You ever feel like that with your parents? They tell you not to, and then, man, I really want to. Right? And ever since then, our flesh, our bodies, have been corrupted by sin. Completely. Okay? What is one symptom of sin? Death. Adam and Eve would not have died but for sinning. One day when the Lord gives us new bodies, when He comes back, they'll be sinless. And you know what will happen to them? Nothing. They're not going to die. They're not going to wear out. They're eternal bodies. Eternal things going on for forever. So our flesh, our fleshly nature, it is corrupted. And not just a little bit of us. All of it. Every aspect. Note to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and... Nope, I want Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. Excuse me. Let's start with the mind. Your mind is corrupted. Your natural self. You have a sin nature, thanks to old Adam. Your mind is corrupted to be carnally minded. Romans 8 and 5. For they that are after the flesh, body, your carnal Your meat. Do mind the things after the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things that are of the Spirit. So, when you are just in your flesh, and you have not been born again, will you care for the things of the Holy Spirit? No. When you have been born again, can you then just be content to keep mind of the things of the flesh? No. They that are after the Spirit, mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Your natural state, your carnal mind, your fleshly mind, dead in trespasses and sins. That's what it is dead. You have no spiritual life within you. Everything leads to sin. The wages of sin is death. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You have new life. That's what it means to be born again, of having new life. And you have a peace that comes from God and that that no one else can explain. No one can appreciate or understand when they're still dead. Alright? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. We saw that before, right? Enmity against God. Enmity means hatred. It's an opposition. Your natural state is to hate God. Your natural mind is in opposition to Him. Whatever He says to do, I don't want to do that. It's contrary to the desires that you have naturally. For the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay? Your mind is corrupted. And in the flesh itself, you have no ability to please God. It's only by Him giving you that new birth and walking in that spirit that you can please Him because He's given you faith. And it takes faith to, to please Him. So your mind is corrupted. How about your heart? Your heart's corrupted. Mark chapter 7. And verse 20. Mark chapter 7 verse 20. And he said, That which cometh out of the man that defileth the man. So the context had been, well, you're eating the wrong thing without washing hands. You know, you're going to defile your body. And Jesus is saying, it's not what you put into your body that defiles you. It's what comes out of you. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, both physical and spiritual, Fornications, using your body to pursue the lusts. Murders, literal, as well as hating your brothers. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. What is the source of all those things? Your corrupt heart. Use the term totally total depravity. It's completely depraved. That's your starting point. Your mind is corrupt. Your heart is corrupt. And you know, we know over in Jeremiah seventeen nine it says the the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Jeremiah seventeen and nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's your heart. Y'all be careful with that expression. Well, just follow your heart. You follow the impulses of the Holy Spirit in accordance with His Word and seeing if those two line up, okay, your heart will lead you way astray. How about your affections? Just your, your general affections. John chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus was hated... Because He was the light. John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. That light's Jesus. And what? And men loved darkness because their deeds were evil. They loved their darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When you're dead in trespassing and sin, you're in natural state. All these things that you're desiring and doing, you enjoy them. And you don't want to have the light shined upon them. That's why they hated Jesus, because He was that light. And they loved the darkness, because their deeds were evil. How about your conscience? Well, just trust your conscience. Let's go see Titus. Titus 2. Even your natural conscience is defiled. Titus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, "...Under the pure all things are pure." But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. This is lip service to God. This is your lip service Christian. Yeah, I know God, but in my works I'm denying Him because I'm abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate, workless. Even their conscience is defiled. How about your speech? Psalm 58, verse 3. Psalm 58, verse 3, it says, The wicked, we are naturally wicked, the wicked are estranged from the womb, and they go astray as soon as they are born, speaking... Lies. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 is a good summary of your whole body, head to foot, of the corruption that is, that is that is within, that is your natural state, that is your your carnal, fleshly, natural state is corrupted. All of it. Romans chapter 3, let's jump into verse 9 says what then are we better than they no and no wise for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles they are all under sin all right. as it is written there is none righteous no not one did God choose you in this election before the foundation of the world because you are righteous and better than anybody else nope you had nothing to commend to your name there are none righteous no not one There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Any exceptions mentioned in that? No, not one. Listen to their their mouth. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Anybody ever want to go hang out near an open grave? No. Go over to Louisiana where they got the above above ground graves and water tables too high. You're going to walk into those. Think anything good and pleasant is going to come out of that? It's going to smell good. It's going to be encouraging. You know I'm saying That's the description of how your face is when you're dead in trespasses and sins. That's your natural state is that your mouth is like an open grave. And with their tongues, they use deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. However, of course you have. Said things that are hurtful, intended, with venom, trying to hurt somebody. Ever said anything that wasn't exactly true. Said something that you knew not to be true. Right? This is your default state. This is where you were born into with your human nature is that your throat is an open sepulchre. Your tongue uses deceit, your poison of ass. Ass is a snake. It's venom. Venom in their lips whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They're running to complete that course that results in somebody's death or injury. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes." Now we know that what so of things we know that what things soever the law saith it saith to them they're under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God this is a description of you and of me in our carnal nature and we are guilty we are guilty before God there is, there is no way around it. And if you cannot see that you're guilty, then you don't have a need for a Savior. right? It's like those Pharisees who said, you know, you came here to, to give sight to the blind. Are, are we blind? We, we can see just fine, right? They don't see any problem with it. That's one of the <laughs> blessings of grace is that you now can see how workless we are. Right? The expression, well, well I'm, I'm good. Uh-oh, I'm better than him at least, Right? That's measuring us against men. We all can't measure up against God. Because by default, we don't want to. We don't want to have anything to do with Him. With holiness or righteousness, we want to serve ourselves and we will use any methods we can have to go about it. So this is man's natural state. There are many people today who do not not believe this is man's natural state. There are many who will tell you, we're inherently good. That's a fiction. If you understand the doctrine of total depravity, that man without God's intervention is in this condition, if you understand that, then it's much easier for you to understand how, let's say, for example, in this country... Since 1973, there have been about 65 million babies killed, murdered. There are people whose feet are swift to shed that blood, who are rejoicing when it's done, and who are lamenting when it may no longer be permitted in all the states. Can you wrap your head around how many 65 million is? I can't really. I looked at the populations of Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi. You add them all up, that's 65 million. How can we do that? Depravity. But for God's intervention in our life, that's where we'd all be. And that's what we have to struggle with daily. Daily. We're warring against that daily. And when we lean into those aspects of our nature, because they're going to still be there. You're always going to have to battle against it. There there are some denominations who think you can remove original sin from you. That's that's part of the, the holiness movement. They think that you will have the second sanctification where the original sin is no longer in you, and you're not tempted by those things anymore. I see nothing in Scripture that supports that. I mean, old brother Paul, right? He said he was the one who's saying, "I haven't obtained yet. I'm still pressing forward, trying to get to that mark, but I'm not there yet." Paul couldn't get there. <laughs> no, you will battle against this every day of your life. Go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and this is just going to be a brief tangent, but I was, you know, I've been been thinking about the possibility of um, Roe v. Wade being overturned, and and that would be a good thing. And the, and the question that you know is often put against this: Well, these these babies that are being murdered, well, they're not really people. I want you to read with me Psalm 139. And at the end of that, let's see what Scripture says. Because frankly, I don't care what your opinion is. You or anybody else, what does Scripture say? Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Does your God know you? Absolutely. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. So the times when you're at home, when you're relaxing, and when you're out abroad. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Now, I don't think you can get far off from God, but that may be the thought even before it's come into your head. He knows your thoughts. He knows them. Thou compassed my path and my line down and art acquainted with all my ways. He knows the route that you're on. Not just seeing the tail end of it. He's got the whole thing clear in his eye. Thou art acquainted with all my ways, everything that I'm doing. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. He knows every word that you speak. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain to it. You as a mortal cannot have that level of understanding. It's too big for you. Sometimes we want some answers from God. Sometimes they're not yours to have. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? And whither shall I flee from thy presence? Is there a place I can go? Is it? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, the grave, behold thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, could you escape them from there? No. Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me. If I can hide in the dark, can you see me? Even the night shall be light about me. There's no hiding from God. Even in the darkness, He can see you clearly. Yea, the darkness hideth not not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. And the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. There's no difference. For thou hast... Possessed my reins, and reins are literally kidneys, but that can refer to your, your internal organs and your mind. Y'all has, you have possessed my mind, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. All right, we're talking about before you're even born, the Lord already knows you, He's protecting your way, and He has covered you. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Made by who? God. In His image. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And therefore I'll praise you. Marvelous are Thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance is not hid from Thee. What I am, all of it, it's not hid from You. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, He was made in secret. You get this imagery of, of the womb when you're being knit together, curiously wrought. That's that's a similar concept to uh, the the needlework on the on the tabernacle when it was embroidered with with the, all the, the detail work. It's the same word as there. The intimate little details that he put in to you when he's making you his substance. You weren't hid from him. Thine eyes did see my substance. Yet being unperfect. It wasn't complete. It wasn't final. But he saw it. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Remember your, your body parts. He said, even though they hadn't all been made, they were already in your book, and you knew them all even when they hadn't been fully developed yet. "'How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain.' Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any wickedness in me, lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139. Do you think the Lord knows every child conceived? Absolutely, I cannot read scripture and think that it is anything but murder. Now, is there a scenario? And folks can always think of scenarios where there is a choice that has to be made by a doctor on how do you save a life when you can't have both. What do you call that? That's triage. You do the best you can. But that narrow, narrow exception does not blanket the rule that it's for convenience, it's for murder, it's because I don't want this child. How can we have that? How can we have people so upset that it could become illegal to murder a child? It's depravity. But for God, giving you life... You could be right there too, rejoicing in it. Go back to James chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of the lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war and ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with the God. Enmity with God. Friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You cannot have it both ways. You can serve the world, mammon, as it's described elsewhere, it's it's like a personification of carnal riches, or you can serve God. You can't have it both. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, "The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy"? That's not talking about the Holy Spirit. That's your natural life as a carnal man. You desire what everybody else has got. Surely it's, it's got. To, I mean, that's the expression. The grass is always greener on the other side, right? It's I want to be over there, or it's better with whatever it is. But He giveth more grace. God giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, "God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble." You want the Lord's grace in your life? Start by examining your pride. We've got to lay that pride down. Pride is a, pride is a sin. That is not something we should be. Well, I'm so proud of. No. no. Pride is not something you should be proud of. Braggadocious. It's a sin. We need to humble ourselves and make ourselves lowly before the great and mighty God. Humble ourselves. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's another word for humble. To be subject to. When you're proud, you get confused about who's in charge. right? I'm the master of my own destiny. Right? That's kind of the American motto, right? I can do it all. If I just work hard enough, then... No. Submit yourselves to God, therefore. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What does the devil have to do with all this when you're pursuing the lust of the flesh you're pursuing the interest of Satan well, those things I want to do anyway yeah but it's good for his cause too because every time you indulge in those you open up an opportunity for the enemies of God to bring reproach upon God's name David gotten King David got in serious trouble when he wasn't out to war where he should have been he was at home on the rooftop looking down at a woman bathing, and he coveted her. He envied, you know, jealous, took her, committed fornication. She got pregnant. He tried to frame the husband so it could look like it was his kid, and the husband was too honorable for him, even though he tried to get him drunk, and he wouldn't go home. So he wound up having the husband murdered, right? And then the child is born, uh, you know, waits a reasonable amount of time, and then he takes her and says, oh, now you're my wife. And then she has a child, of which the timing did not work out, and everyone knew and the prophet had to come and call him out on it. But he, and this is what the prophet says, that he gave great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme against God's name, to bring reproach upon him. You say that you're a follower of God, that you know he was described as being a man after God's own heart, and yet he did all these series of nasty, vile things. And what was the result of it? Is that he defiled God's name. Resist the devil. and what's it? Resist. it means to withstand. It means don't indulge to stand fast against it. And what will happen? He will flee from you. You're not subject to the lust of your flesh anymore. You can withstand them. God will not give you a temptation greater than you can withstand. With everyone, He'll give you an escape where you can get out. Does that mean every time you're going to take that escape? No. Should you? Yes. Is the escape hatch there? Yes. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So it doesn't stop there, does it? Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. What are you doing? It says cleanse it. Quit putting down that defilement. Engaging in those lusts of the flesh. It says lay it down. Draw nigh to God, yes, but not just with lip service. Follow through. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What's the double-minded man? Well, I'd like to serve God over here, but I also want to do this, this, and this, and this that I know is wrong. I'm going to do both. No, it says purify both your hands and your mind, your affections. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Now, this expression may always seem weird to you. Why do I have to be sad or whatever? You need to be sad and mourning over those sins. Okay? These guys... They were wise, they were the masters, they were happy with being in charge, right? And here, he's saying, he's popping their their big heads. He's saying, you don't need to be proud about where you're at. You're causing strife and envy and division. You've got wars and fightings among you. He said, you need to be mourning and weeping over the condition that you're in and over your sins. Not laughing and, and just full of joy, right? Be afflicted, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness, see those sins, recognize them, and mourn over them. Godly sorrow, right? That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, was that he wanted them to turn from it, not for the sorrow after this world. You know, the sorrow of the world says, I'm sorry, I got caught. I'll do better about not getting caught. That's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, to turn from it and to lay it down, and to not go back again. Therefore, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. So you're not having to make a campaign to build up yourself in this world. I need everyone to think I'm important or I'm successful or I'm, I'm powerful or I'm smart or any of that thing. It's just, no, the smartest thing you can do is humble yourself before God. And you know, over the course of that, somehow He's going to raise you up. But it's going to be in a right way and it may be in a way that no one ever sees it. But He can use you in His kingdom and you can be a profitable servant unto him. Thank y'all for your time and attention. Bye.